We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's your true faith, Newcastle United podcast. Newcastle have drawn 1-1 with Wolves and remain 17th in the Premier League. You have Alex Hurst, Michael Collin, Norman Riley, and Adam Woodridden to talk about this game in its context. And Norman, I'm going to start with you. Newcastle played really well, didn't they? Deserved a lot more. <laughs> so, uh, as as a standard, or what's been the standard for the last, uh, what, six or seven games, Newcastle played well for, well, um, Okay, better than mediocre for a period of a match. So 20 minutes, 30 minutes, you know, you look at Crystal Palace, look at Leeds, look at Chelsea supposedly in the second half. Look at more or less every performance that we've put in since, you know, the gloves came off after Sheffield United and we've um, opened, opened up and entered into this brave new world of front foot football where we've been brilliant. Um, we've had periods in a few matches where we've played all right or we've played loosely good. What it seems to do, though, and the way that it's framed afterwards, because obviously we've come out with these games... The nine subsequent games to Sheffield United when the gloves came off, we won two and um, drawn one. Uh, the previous nine to that, I think we won two and drawn two. So, you know, we've actually got less points in the subsequent nine games to the gloves coming off to what we had prior to that. Um, but we're playing better. So that, that's that's apparently we're playing better. Um, in every time we finish a match and we don't get a win, um, it's, it's kind of almost discounted like oh well we played well though so that that doesn't matter we didn't we didn't get anything but we played well that's great and also it completely and utterly negates the opposition it's like okay we played well for 20 or 30 minutes but like the other team played better than us for like 60 that's why they've won or that's why we haven't won it's it's like every match that is viewed now poorest match is viewed without the opposition being taken into account it's only focusing on a little bit of the game where newcastle were good and this is the frustrating thing every time I'm told we're playing well. We seem to forget what the opposition's done, and we also don't seem to pick up three points. That's two wins in nine games post uh, Sheffield United. So that's my concern: is why are we why are we only considering what Newcastle are doing for a very limited amount of time on the pitch? It's also like when, when we're talking about Newcastle playing well now, it's it's comparative to to Newcastle's own dismal performances previously. It's not it's not actually well. It's just it's just better than the previous turgid, and it's almost like. It's almost like through repetition of saying it over and over and over and over again, it becomes it becomes true and it creates a narrative. But it's but it's not actually true. Like what, you know, I I would struggle to highlight any time where you would genuinely say Newcastle have played really well. There's there's been very few periods of any game where you would where you would say that's true. But because it's said over and over again, like I say, it it becomes accepted and it's it's a it's a narrative that's supported by vast sections of the media and and. and or virtually all of the pundits, but it's one that's not accepted by the fan base. But we, as always, just completely ignored. I mean, there are, there are certain fans who seem to to accept it. And there is a, and again, I can only gauge on what I get, like you know, secondhand from social media. But there is a certain element of the fan base that's that's almost like insisting that we maintain optim, optimism because we're playing well for twenty or thirty minutes. Like the thing is, I can't necessarily remain optimistic when we're playing well for short periods of matches and also not picking up points. And and like you say, Mickey. If this narrative is being framed and we're playing well, we're playing well, we're playing well, if we keep thinking we're playing well, then eventually we'll play well for a whole game. Like, if we stay optimistic, if we keep staying optimistic, based on nothing, by the way, based on very minimal facts other than 20 to 30 minutes of playing well, it's like, if we all stay optimistic, we'll stay up, which then suggests that because we're not optimistic as, as fans, based on what we've seen for, what, 20 months, then it's kind of our fault that we're in it, if you see what I mean. It, it's it, it's absolutely bizarre. It's absolutely bizarre that if we don't stay optimistic based on 
20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes of good football and very few points. If we don't see optimistic because of that, then we're probably going to get relegated anyways. So by not seeing optimistic, are we pushing the club further at the relegation zone? It's 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 kind of this fantastical world that seems to exist around the club at the minute. And um, I don't know where it's don't know where it's come from. Anyone got any ideas here? The the thing is, performances at this point doesn't matter. It means nothing. It's irrelevant. We need points. It's a points business. We've been told this over and over again. Performances now, I don't I don't give a shit about. I don't care about. Because at the end of the season, what are we going to talk about? Oh, do you remember that 30 minutes against Wolves? Oh, that was awesome. Do you know what I mean? We've been relegated. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, facts matter. Stats, statistics matter at this point in terms of the league table. If we're talking about points accumulation, Steve, then we're not accumulating enough. You know, when you... And you could you could argue, you know, home to Wolves... Like Wolves they're a decent outfit. It, it, it doesn't matter. That needed to be a win. It had to be a win because when you lose against teams that are much, much worse than yourself or perceived as much worse than yourself, when you lose against other bottom half of the table sides, games that you should be winning if you have any designs on staying in the Premier League, then you lose the right. We've lost 14 games this season. You then lose the right to say that a draw at home to Wolves is a good result. That away defeats to Chelsea and Man United were just, you know, always coming. That it, It's not enough anymore. You lose the right to get the free passes for those because if you're not winning against the, the teams that you should be winning against, then where are you getting the points from? It's, it's, it's absolutely ludicrous. And you look at, you know, we have now conceded the second highest number of goals in the entire Premier League this season. Second, second only to West Brom. And... That's the reality. It doesn't matter if we have 30 spells, 30 seconds, 30 minute spells here and there. I, I don't care. I don't care if if it's not Bruce's fault be, that, that, that the players didn't put the goal, you know, put the ball in the back of the net. We're beyond all of that. The book stops with Bruce. He'll happily take the credit when we win, but he'll happily throw his players and his colleagues and his peers under the bus when we when we don't win. And when it's his fault, when he's having accusations set against him, like the fact that we played a little bit better yesterday is honestly immaterial. It means nothing in a relegation battle. I don't care if we play shite every single game between now and the end of the season, as long as we pick up points, I don't care about anything else. We shouldn't be caring about anything right now except points. So if anyone's going to be defending that last night and say, oh, it was all right, it was better on realising the magnitude of the, the, the situation that we're in personally. I agree. Norman, um, you mentioned that it seems to be the fans' fault. I don't know if you caught this, but Martin Samuel actually wrote in his newspaper, and I only, I only saw a screenshot from his newspaper clipping, so I'm not sure if this went online. Um, I don't know whether Martin Samuels knows about the internet yet, but he basically <laughs> said that if Newcastle's fans hadn't been so negative when the team were doing well, or might not be in this position now takes a special kind of person when grounds are empty to blame supporters for the team's performance um but you know three cheers for martin he's uh, he's done it um I, I, you know i can't disagree with any, anything anyone said there um on this idea of, of, of playing well in spells you know you expect games to be even somewhat you expect other teams to come into it but you are right norman that it's almost like the the second half, you know, when Bruce talked about after Manchester United, well, up to 2-1, we were great. In that 35 minutes of the game, or 40 minutes, or whatever it was, is just completely discounted. It's the same yesterday. I thought Newcastle were better. I thought Newcastle were the better team at the start of the game. But I was reading on social media, and I've read since, about a fantastic start, about an excellent performance in the first half. If Newcastle were excellent in the first half, it was a fantastic start. It would have been 2-0 up at half-time. That's the kind of usual excellent start to a game but having kind of two shots on goal and, and, and being the better team is now kind of held up as some sort of um, progressive miracle in how the team is doing and, and you know what, I thought Wolves were dreadful at the start of the game, just like Man United were dreadful at the start of the last game and on both occasions we haven't managed to take the lead, well we did manage to take the lead in the second half against Wolves but we haven't managed to um, make the most of that. And, and one of the most concerning things for me, and I, I like comparisons to previous seasons and previous campaigns, if you ask me what were the key features of Newcastle's relegation sides in 2009 and 2016, I could give you a few comparisons. But the main one, apart from being a bit shit, 
and having bad managers is that teams in relegation trouble, and this is why Billich sacked West Brom ultimately, um, West Brom sacked Billich ultimately, is playing well, dominating games, but not taking home the points. So for Wolves at home last night, Aguirre Stoke at home in 2016, dominated, missed chances, should have won the game, talking about how good we were after, we went down. I could give you 10 other games like that across both seasons. Whilst it is better that Newcastle are creating chances, and we're going to come on to if that will continue with the injuries in the near future, um, whilst Newcastle were better, Wolves probably feel like they should have won that game, particularly with the chance at the end. Wolves will feel like, despite the absolute paucity of their performance in the first 30 minutes of that game, they still should have won the game. That isn't a good thing. It's not a good thing for us to be to be sat here talking about a game that I thought, and still do think, was a must-win game. I thought that game was must Win. If you look at the sides that we'll have to play in the fixtures left, we had two bottom half sides left in the Premier League at home to play. Sheffield United, the penultimate game of the season, which it might already be too late by then, and the Batters, the previous game, and Wolves. I think we've also got Arsenal in the bottom half, but but, but Bruce approaches Arsenal like it's it's Arsenal 1998 and Tony Adams is a captain and Wenger's still there, so it almost doesn't count as a bottom half side, such as the way he approaches those games with that club. If you can't beat bottom side, the bottom half teams at home, who are you going to beat? We couldn't, you know, if you look at us since since that Sheffield United game, it's a good point, Norman. Leeds, bottom half of the table, team at home, got beat. Palace, bottom half of the table at home, got beat. Wolves, bottom half of the table team, failed to win. We beat Southampton, who were in free fall. Good result. Great, well done, lads. Really good, good effort. Nine men, we know it, we talked about it. Who we're going to beat? You know, Brighton, bogey team. <laughs> Haven't beat them since promotion together who 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 are we going to beat and this is the concern and I had some conversations with people on social media last night who made the point to me that you know it was much much better and we should have won the game and we could have won the game and that's fine it's like you said Adam we have, we have to pick up points and for, for me I'm very uncomfortable with this idea that that could be a good point because Fulham might lose later I'm very uncomfortable with that, both as a Newcastle fan, but both in the real the realistic situation that we're in, is that if we're talking about Wolves at home, a bottom half of the Premier League side being a good point, dependent on what the teams below us do, then we're in a lot of trouble because you're you're basically admitting that it it, it might be out of our hands. It's okay, it depends on what Fulham do because I just want us to win the games, win the games, and we don't have to worry about Fulham. We we were we if you look at last night, if we'd won last night, we'd won at West Brom, you'd almost say we're safe with those two wins there and six points. That's not the case any longer. I don't know about you lads, and if you feel um, that we're going to go to West Brom and definitely win, because I certainly don't. And I suppose, Adam, um, I should we should talk about the injuries and in, in, in the kind of the, the impact that, that they could have, not just on the season, but the future of this football club. Absolutely. And, I mean, the, the frightening one for me is it's probably Miggy more than it is Sam Maximan, because I think Miggy glues this whole formation together. And I think he's been a revelation. He's... His, I mean, he, he, I mean, look at him in the, you know, in the first half uh, yesterday, he was everywhere, and he was, he was, he was at the crux of all of our attacks. He was in the, he, he was. I remember um, Adama Traoré trying to get away for the first time, and who was there tackling to, you know, to to stop the counter attack? Miggy Almiron. He was everywhere, and in fact, it was his, you know, the the ping over, you know, the in the first twelve minutes or so when it was the ping over the top, and Miggy's in, and he's, you know, he's one on one with the keeper. He hits the post. He, he sort of. He kind of goes for the right place, but he doesn't. He doesn't quite execute it, and that that chance almost allowed. Well, it made Wolves drop right back, drop really deep because there was so much space in behind that he, he that he'd exploited. Because essentially, this formation whereby you've got the main striker Joe Linton pushed across to the right hand side. He's not get he's not getting anywhere near the box. He's barely getting in central areas. So you've you're essentially fairly reliant. You're you're so reliant on Miggy Almiron driving from deep, getting on the end of things because again the formation dictates that. So the you know he was he was so influential in that thirty that that first thirty minutes and and in, you know Sam Axman played really well. I thought as well. He looked a lot more like his getting closer to his peak. You know. The last couple of games, we've seen flashes of his dribbles and getting past men. But you know, he was twisting and turning to create, you know, chances. Um, and I believe, you know, you know, the, even his contribution to the goal as well. He did a lot of work on that on that left hand side. But to, lo- to 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 potentially lose them both when we've already lost 
Callum Wilson. We've seen what 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 such a huge problem that's created for his goal scoring wise. Uh, the Gallup Callum's, you know, we are barely getting players in the box, let alone sort of, you know, creating meaningful or being able to finish chances. And you know, we talk about yeah, we had a great thirty minutes. We created loads of chances. Yeah, and yeah, that was maybe brought on by that Miguel Almiron chance and Wills panicked a bit and dropped deep to try and soak it up and. Well, it was successful for that for that period of time for them from a defensive point of view. But you know, when you t- this this idea that you're going to create all these chances yet we are not playing with a striker at all, you know, we can blame the players to an extent for not putting away some chances. That's maybe not on the on the on the head coach. But what is on the head coach is the team that we line up with when we don't have. You know, a professional finisher on the pitch. Who are the who's the striker that's going to put all these chances away? Or are we solely relying on attacking midfielders? Does he really have that little faith in in Dwight Gale over, say, Joe Linton? I mean, but, but then that's the problem because when Joel when Dwight Gale played the last game, he was pushed out to the right hand side as well. The formation is a problem, and yet and yet we have yet to change it. We haven't adapted at all. We're still dining out on Everton away. You only have to look at like the catastrophe that that was our shape after half time when when Almiron was replaced to see that it's not going to work with anyone else. You know, Almiron has like it's a pretty unique role. You know, I don't I don't see that you know anywhere else in the league really, or even even anywhere else in the world from what from what I've seen. And to replace him with a winger is just you know it, it's just never ever going to work. You can't you can't teach Ryan Fraser, who's played you know since he was a four year old on the wing, to play in this kind of bizarre role that Almiron has has, has done so well in and, and it, it was just so obvious for after half time that it that it wasn't going to work and we don't have anyone else clearly in the in the squad that can come in and, and and replace that role what what really concerns us is that you know we didn't we didn't adapt at half time we won't adapt for the rest of the season nothing will change it's just going to be shoehorning players into positions that they're not very good at and that's been been something that's been a problem at Newcastle you know for for a long long time but I think it'll be a bigger problem than ever now. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree with you both. And in, in, in Adam, you're right to bring up the fact that the injuries lead to further tactical questions because, I mean, you know, you only have to look at what happened in the second half. Um, and we do want to talk about in a little bit about this kind of instructional problem that the, the team and the manager seem to have had between themselves. But if you look at the injuries to, to St. Maximan, um, muscle injury, Wilson, muscle injury. Almiron suggesting that it might have been a knee clash. So, you know, you can't... That's bad luck, just like the muscle injuries are, I suppose. But we're coming into the key part of the season. We're coming into the the part of the season that matters most. And we're picking up muscle injuries to our key players. We're same players, by the way, who've been out previously in the season with muscle injuries. People don't like... Some people don't like me talking about this. Some people say that it's just part of the game. I think it is um, consistent with... Steve Bruce and Eddie Castle United. It was consistent with Steve McLaren. Not broken legs, not metatarsals, not ligament stuff, you know, muscle injuries, soft tissue injuries. Consistently, it picked up at St. James's Park. It, uh, it does me head in, Adam. The last six substitutions we've made at St. James's Park have all been forced through injury. The last six. And then even in the Southampton game, you know, Sam Maximum sort of hobbled off, <laughs> like, yeah. like as a kind of like sort of six and a half. Like that, that is that's crazy. That's crazy. When was the last time that happened in two consecutive home games? Six substitutions through injury. I, maybe never. I don't know. This is the thing about tactics, and, and I've been fairly critical of this formation for the reasons you are there, Adam, about playing a striker on the right wing. Um, yes, it, it kind of fits on their own, who's been excellent, but it almost just raises so many questions. So. Where we think losing Miguel Moron is a massive in, in injury blow, and chance, you know, the chances of staying in the Premier League are far worse without them. So why wasn't he picked in certain games earlier this season? Why was he played on the right of a midfield central midfield three where he was having to do defending and lost the ball against Southampton away? And it's just all of the absolute car crash season that we've been having. You know, everything that kind of goes right raises a question about why it, why it went wrong previously. And that, and, and that, and it's the same thing about this formation. And, and, and I'll, you know what? I'm going to do the rarest thing ever here. I'm going to stick up for Joe Linton, who who I thought was was really hung out to dry by his manager after the game. Now I think he's got a score. I'm 
you know, I'm no striking coach or striker at any level. But uh, his technique there frustrates me. Why is he leaning back? Why is he side-footing the ball? You've only got the keeper to beat realistically. When the ball comes to Joe Linton, the defender is outside of the frame of the goal. If you put your laces through it, if you hammer it, literally either side of the keeper, you're so close, it's going to go into the net. But, but, Joe Linton, as we've heard from the manager, not a striker. Not a striker. And he's picked him, like you say, Adam, ahead of Dwight Gill. Maybe Dwight Gill would have missed. I don't know. I don't think Callum Wilson misses. I don't think Dwight. I don't think Andy Carroll misses. Probably, but Joe Linton. I thought he should have scored. I thought he has to score. I thought we'll probably win the game. But it's Joe. It's Joe. It's Joe Linton, isn't it? It's like you can't. I can't get angry with a bloke I don't think should be in the team. Can't get angry with a bloke who I think isn't good enough to play in the Premier League. So if you're going to pick these lads, it's like Emil Kraft at right back, isn't it? Can't get angry at him. Not good. He's not good enough. Not his fault. Not Joe Linton's fault. He was bought for forty million. He's been played in this in this formation, and I thought. Digging them out after the game like this. Norman, I want to come to you on this. and I, I, This is really interesting to me. That was the first time this season, maybe ever, under Bruce, that he seemed genuinely devastated after the game. He was irritated. He was annoyed. He was, And he dug out the players publicly. And I, and, and I don't know whether that's because he's learned after having a bit crack on with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer after the game, if someone said behave like that. So he's probably not. I don't, I don't think Steve Bruce is, is an actor or someone who can um, pretend to feel like something he doesn't. Um, I thought, I think Bruce knew that was a must-win game. And, and, and if you look at the way the game went and the chances were had, I think he knows. I think he knows West Brom's going to be very difficult. And then he, I, I don't think he himself has the belief we can go to Brighton and win. So, Norman, what did you make of his post-match comments and how do you think it feeds into your wider opinion of his management of the players? I completely agree with you saying that he was deeply upset last night because that was a game that he would have penciled in as a, as a must win. The, the Chelsea and Man U games, he would, have, he would have put them to bed as we're not going to get anything. He would have just accepted, which is a pattern, obviously. He would have accepted that we weren't going to get anything. So he would have looked at Wolves and West Brom and thought four points. I need four points out of those games. And I think, obviously, getting them at, getting them at home at Wolves is probably a slightly easier task than we at West Brom. Despite, obviously, West Brom's league position, the reality is under Allardyce over the last few weeks, as much as I hate to say it, they have looked better or tougher to beat. I mean, Brighton dominated them yesterday. It was an incredible game, but the, it's going to be a tougher game. And I think obviously taking the one-goal lead and then losing the one-goal lead because ultimately of a couple of errors, you know, Dubravka wasn't great on the goal in terms of he, if he's getting his hand on the ball. Um, the defending was was poor. You know, we could go into the Isaac Hayden at right back, um, the position of the players, etc. So his frustration, I can I can understand it because of the sheer vast amount of pressure he's obviously put on himself. And the game, the game is a huge game in any ways, but he's put a lot of pressure on himself, expecting or, or thinking that this is going to be the game where we pick up something. And I mean, it's incredible to me that this genuinely seems to be the first time that he's actually realised we're in a real relegation dogfight. I think that gap, that that gap was almost offering a kind of false security after Southampton in the 10-11 point gap. I, I'd imagine at that point, and I was, I was the same, and I'm, I'm a fan of Nas nothing. I thought what was sound, but absolutely sound. That, that, that gap's huge, it's huge. And then I imagine Bruce himself probably felt like that, and all of a sudden, bang, it's down to what? Three points pre-game. So the pressure on this game is huge. It, is, it was a lot of pressure on that on that game yesterday, and we took the lead, and we, and we didn't win. And throwing the players under the bus at the end of the game, what surprised me? Matt Ritchie got it, and that's that was a real surprise, because obviously Ritchie... When Bruce first got the club, was one of his kind of his blue chip boys, wasn't he? Giving him a new contract, etc. That surprised me. Um, and the the kind of the, the blame of the players in terms of this supposedly brilliant man management that he that he has. Well, it was contradicted. Mongo, you had Shelby two or three days earlier, big enough how good Bruce is a man manager. And now what that's made me think the way that he dug those players out after after the game yesterday was he's a good man manager for certain individuals. So he's good for Shelby because Shelby basically gets away every game by, by doing virtually nothing on the pitch, yet still plays. He con he's continuously played. Look, yesterday Shelby put in some good tackles. He actually played all right as a kind of weird defensive midfielder. But, um, you know, he's a, he's a good man manager for John Joe Shelby because he gets picked. Shelby gets picked every single week, despite the fact that he doesn't necessarily justify being on the pitch. But this man management being really good for all the other players, you don't go out on TV in two consecutive weeks, by the way, because he threw Dolo under the bus last week. You don't do that. That's not good man management. And that, to me, is very indicative of a manager who is who has realised all of a sudden that he's under extreme pressure. 
you're a good man manager when you don't feel the pressure and everything's hunky-dory. The moment the pressure cranks up, bang, you start blaming your players. And this, it's unsustainable. You cannot you cannot win a relegation battle throwing your players under the bus, especially if you're a manager like Steve Bruce, who ultimately hasn't got this gigantic track record of winning trophies. You know, if you're like, you know, Mourinho does it with these players, right? But Mourinho, to a certain extent, extent can back it up. You can back it up what he's won. So players are going, you know what? I'm being thrown under the bus by somebody who's won all of this. Steve Bruce hasn't as a manager. And if I was a player, I mean, you'd probably think, you'd probably all of a sudden start thinking, oh, this isn't what it was um, a few months ago or 18 months ago. It's, it's disconcerting, no two ways about it. How often do you see the top managers, you know, publicly calling out individuals like that after a, after a disappointing game? It doesn't happen very often. It, it's it's a, a sign of a, in my opinion, a bad manager to uh, to to blame players individually like that. And it, in my opinion, he he consistently picks the wrong ones. You know, if he's gonna do it, which I don't think he should anyway, he picks the wrong players to dig out. So, Alex, you mentioned there, Darlo, like digging digging out Darlo last week after the way he's played over the the previous ten weeks, and then subsequently dropping him, also releasing to the press that he was going to drop him. And then backtracking on that, but then dropping in anyway is just a, is just an absolute catastrophe. And you know what? What must that guy be thinking sitting on the bench yesterday when Dubravka makes that mistake? It, it, it doesn't even bear thinking about. Um, and then Norman, you, you've highlighted there, Shelby. Shelby never comes in for any criticism from the manager, despite being probably the most underperforming player this season. And you, you contrast that with him with him picking on Joe Linton, who, like you've said, miss, misses an easy chance, but otherwise had a pretty pretty effective game for his 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 ability and. You just think, what what will the squad be thinking about the manager when they've gone home, or when they've gone home, you know, and possibly talking and to their mates in the team and, and WhatsApp groups and stuff like that about what he's what he said? They must be furious on mass. They must be furious. If I was a player in that squad, I would have been livid with the way he spoke about Darlow last week. Absolutely livid, and that that will have an impact on on the squad's morale. Yeah, really quickly, um, if you compare Klopp, who's a bit all over the place at the minute with his post-match comments, but if you compare Klopp talking a couple of games ago, possibly Brighton, I'm not sure, um, where Alison Becker, the keeper, had an absolute nightmare. Klopp just shut down the question in, in, in the post-match interview. You know, he got asked if he disappointed with the goalkeeper then. He just said, uh, Alison Becker has won this club so many points that it would be ridiculous for me to come and criticise uh, one alleged error and just shut it down completely. That's compared to Bruce two weekends in a row who says he is disappointed with his goalkeepers. So I just wanted to echo what you lads said there, Adam. And it's not just now that he's like digging out his players. Do you remember at the very start of his tenure, he started making sly digs about how, you know, the how tactically rigid the players were because of after playing under Rafa Benitez, and that they couldn't possibly play any other way. And that's like that's their fault. And it's Rafa's fault for like giving him a hard task. To, like that's mental. If we if we look at if we look at facts, Steve, if you're listening, I know you are. Um, you know, Rafa Benitez left us with, you know, the eighth best defense in the league. Okay, right now we have the second worst in the league. We've gone from the top eight down to the second worst in the league. Steve Bruce has decimated the solidity and rigidity of this of this side of the defense which 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 Rafa kind of you know built a platform on to then and he started making progress before he left in an attacking sense but he had to get that foundation in place Bruce has never had that Bruce has just progressively been riding off uh, Rafa Benitez's hard work until he's he's completely um you know he's he's completely you know, rinse them of any any former Rafa instruction to the point that now we are just an awful defense, and it's largely this. It's largely the same people. It's largely it's certainly in the cent in the center of defense. It's the same people. Yeah, we're, we're performing like this much worse. It's the same goalkeeper, or you know, like in terms of Dubravka. I, 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 I don't know. How we how anyone can defend that? I don't know how anyone can even begin to compare Rafa Benitez and Steve Bruce. That they're effect they're, they're worlds apart. They're effectively playing a different sport. And and anyone who says there's no difference between Steve Bruce and Rafa Benitez just isn't watching. There's this weird lad on Twitter who I've muted. I'm not going to say his name, but who can't like any time I tweet anything now demands that I compare Bruce and. Rafa's game by game ratio at this point in the season. It's so weird. Like, I don't think he listens, but if you do listen, mate, seek help. Walk outside. It's a nice day. Um, I think he 
I assume he lives in London from the club he supposedly supports, but I'll, I'll say no more than that. Um, yeah, <laughs> you, you're you're all you're all spot on, and I think I think we have to talk about the the car crash, the the absolute horror show of of, of both Lascelles' post game comments and, and actually what happened. So Emil Kraft goes down injured, muscle injury again, um, and Bruce has got a decision to make, and he has no right backs on the bench. Mankio's injured; they let Yedlin go, which looks week on week like a worse decision every week that goes by and what happens next after the substitution is made I think less than a minute or very very soon after Newcastle concede a goal from the right back position which there were other players at fault um, the goalkeeper for one um, is definitely one you know I mean I, I agree with Steve Bruce it's, it's disappointing Dubravka kind of saves us the point at the end with the save he makes but you know he's, he's rusty he's hardly played it's a pressure situation Um some people saying Joe Willock from midfield should have tracked that runner. I'm not so sure myself. I think when you know that the lad behind you is there, your defender is there, you know, you, you'd be, I'd be confident if I was Joe Willock that Isaac Hayden, who's been pushed to right back, um, would at least contest the header. Um, but, you know, we'll concede the goal and it transpires after the game that Jacob Murphy was supposed to be at right wing back and Isaac Hayden was supposed to slot in as a third centre back to go five at the back for the rest of the game. Uh, and it didn't happen, and Steve Bruce has blamed Matt Ritchie for it. There's a few different things to talk about here. There's there's the actual change, and there's the fact that Bruce has come out after the match and blamed a player, which is pretty sensational stuff to do. There's also the clip that seems to be doing the rounds of Bruce, you know, I'm no expert leap reader, but he does seem to be telling Graham Jones to fuck off, <laughs> fuck off about that. Which I think he's, you know, people are surmising that he that that Jones is kind of at his ear, saying either we shouldn't have done this, going back to five at the back, or we should have done something differently. And it, you know, it's cost us a goal, and it's cost us a goal in a game that we had to win. And maybe some would argue should have. Well, I think we should have won the game. I think I think Wills probably think we should have won the game as well. But I think we should have won the game with the chances we had at the times of the game. Um, I don't quite know what to say. I think I'll start with the technical aspect, and some people disagree with me on this. I don't think Isaac Hayden can play right back. I think he played right back a couple of times for Rafa, but it, but 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 like almost right wing back in a back five is a traditional right back. I thought I think it's mental. We conceded Leeds' winner at St James's Park came from a vacant right back position because Isaac Hayden was nowhere to be seen. He'd been moved to right back in a back four. Then didn't work. Conceded a goal, lost the game. And then he's at he's at he's at fault again. It's not Isaac Hayden's fault. He's not a right back. Um, you know, I thought he he should have brought Dummer on. A few people were on me at Twitter saying Dummer can't play right back. Like, what's the worst that would happen if a left-footed Paul Dummer played at right back? Like Isaac Hayden didn't cross the halfway line, pretty much at right back. Isaac Hayden was on a booking and was up against Traore. As a result, he doesn't make a tackle on Traore. There's a, t- a point at the end run Traore ghost past him and Murphy and, and Hayden doesn't even put a tackle in. Quite right, because he's on a boogan and he'll get sent off if he touches him. Um, I just thought it was, he had a defender on the bench, even though it's an extremely left-footed defender, you'd be able to head the ball, you'd be able to make the blocks, you'd be able to get in the way. And I, I think it was Sai said in our WhatsApp group, instead of just bringing on a defender for a defender, he's decided to change the whole shape of the team to the extent that will basically cease to exist as an, as an attack and threat beyond that point. And and yes, he he might Bruce might argue that, you know, if if the players had followed his instructions, what might not have conceded that goal. But then you have to look at Bruce himself, Adam. But what but what I don't get is how can you go through the Chelsea game and then the Man United game where we've had so much overload of our fullbacks and goals goals in the Man United game coming from, you know, targeting our fullbacks. You've got basically Rashford and James. You've got the Chelsea game where Alonso and Hudson Adai were just left to run run wild. Wolves' system is really similar to Chelsea's. Like you've essentially got fullbacks playing in midfield as wide wide players who get up and down. On top of that, you've got Neto and and and, and Dharma Traore who are handfuls in their own respective ways. Now, why have we learned absolutely nothing? What's the point in losing at Stamford Bridge? What's the point in losing at Old Trafford if you're not going to actually? Get anything from it? Where's, where's, you know, at least learn something. Rafa Benitez, when he lost, and yes, he did lose, but you knew that he was furious about it, and he wanted to change it, and he wanted to get marginal gains based on the evidence that he just get. You know, every loss that we suffered, you knew that that would be put into action on the training ground. Bruce, we've played 
you know, the same way the last couple of games and we've been completely ruined on the wings. We've been completely exposed. So going into Wolves, we know that Johnny plays on the left. We know that Semedo will play on the right as, as advanced. They're essentially playing as wingers and they'll get up and down. We knew this. We knew how tricky Triore is. We knew how tricky Neto is. Yet we still, I mean, I, I kind of saw San Maximan defending a little bit better. I think Joel Linton provided a little bit more cover, but ultimately we're still not playing with proper wingers. We're the shape was still exposed. I don't know why we aren't learning anything. We're, no we're learning nothing. We we're just making the same mistake again and again and again and just expecting a different result. That's the definition of insanity, isn't it? We had um, we had a, a, a mid two midfielders and a um, centre-forward on the right-hand side of the pitch at the end of the game, which was absolutely outstanding. Um, but, uh, what I will say is, and I have to hold my hands up here, I, on a preview podcast, said that I, I could envisage in an, an emergency Isaac Hayden playing right-back because he played there, on, I think he played under Bruce when he was at Hull. I think he played quite a few games at right-back. And I thought, like, you know what, actually, comparing to Kraft, he might be better. I'm completely wrong. Obviously, yesterday was a highlight of that. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, did he... Did he play it right back against Cardiff when he got sent off for that ridiculous challenge when he came on? Am I just I might be I might be imagining that he made it come on in midfield. I'll have to double check. But um the what what concerned me was the instructions, the fact that Bruce has said that. Has he actually said that Richie didn't get the instructions across? Or is that just yeah, yeah no, he said right? it. He said it. So the fact that he said that, it's almost like the, I can't believe there's any truth in that. Why how? How wouldn't Matt Ritchie have got those instructions across to those players? Surely when he went on, he went on. He just gave the instructions. I mean, I, like, I, I can't fathom how Matt Ritchie is being held responsible for not only like dictating the instructions to the players on the pitch, but then when they haven't been made clear from the sidelines, because it's their job on the sidelines, you know what I mean? Obviously, players go on the pitch in the past on little instructions, but such a an important tactical change at that stage of the game and such an important game to leave it to a player who's who's coming on to this kind of, you know, high-pressure game to, to pass on these supposedly detailed instructions. That's bad management for a start. But also, the, the mere fact that he that he blamed them for them not passing the instructions on is, it's really poor. It's, I mean, it's really atrocious. And, and Richie this morning, and Matt Richie doesn't give you the kind of impression that he'd, he'd be wanting to hold that kind of grudge against Bruce. But man, if my gaffer threw me under the bus like that, I'd, I mean, I would have, I'd have serious, serious words. Absolutely no two ways about it. And, and, and in terms of morale... You just wouldn't want to work for them again. I feel like Matt Ritchie's the kind of person that would hold a grudge if he put skim milk in his tea instead of semi-skim milk. <laughs> um, but but on that, you know, passing on the instructions, it, it, that's the kind of thing. Not not having players in the right position because the manager's made a change is the kind of thing that happens like every now and again in, in Sunday league when people are turning up drunk on a Sunday morning. But it's happened under Steve Bruce in the Premier League at Newcastle twice now to 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 cost us goals, and it's just absolutely thrice. I think the, I remember Hayden chatting to him on the sidelines in one game, just saying, like, I don't understand what's going on. And there's the villains thing where he came on in the wrong position and we conceded against Arsenal. Like, yeah. this is the, we have previous. Well, that's one I'm thinking about, the Willems one. And, it, you know, it's, it's just completely unacceptable. But what makes it even more unacceptable now is you know, when, it, when it's happened previously, it's been in, in a ground where there's 50,000 people shouting at the players and trying to get them to do something. At the minute, there's like 100 journalists behind him sitting in a complete silence. So he could literally talk to the players on the pitch and, and tell them what they need to do. And it's not like it's it's not like it's an instant thing either. It's not, you know, the, there is a, a period of time that has expired between the changes and the goal. There is enough time, if it's not happened straight away, to be like, there's something wrong here. But they're still, you know, between them all, they still haven't reacted, and it's it, what it looked like to me was it's it's resulted in an argument between between Bruce and Jones, basically. But that's not the right that's not the right argument. Like the argue, the, the argument should be between Bruce and the players that have got it wrong to, to make sure it's right. I just I, I genuinely cannot get my head around how this has been allowed to happen twice at the Premier League club. It's baffling. It's 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 only the responsibility of 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 the coaching staff and the head coach to disseminate that information. If a player can go and do it great but as you said he could shout and everyone would hear him on the other side of the pitch because there's no noise like he is essentially passing the book there he is he is absolving himself of any blame because oh well i told somebody else to do it no it's your your job your literal job to ensure that that tactical information is given out to other people that's not on anyone else it stops with him and yet he still cannot take responsibility for it
Yeah, that's the, I mean that's the position of a manager in in any job in the whole world, isn't it? Like you're you're the responsible to make sure that the people underneath you are doing the right thing. It's so basic. I agree, and I just want to just want to say that I think I mentioned Paul Dummett before, and I've tried to stick up for Lewis this season. I think he's been horrifically managed. We'll talk about having like seven different players in front of him. He doesn't have anyone in front of him now, really, with a side and give the fullbacks no support. But he's rinsed too easily for that goal. You know, I've looked at Hayden. Um, I've looked at Dubravka. He's got he's got to do better and stop the cross there. You can't you can't just be done by a step over and let a lad get get a ball in. Though I would say again, it's preposterous, like you say, Adam, that he's left in that situation. You know, in the Premier League, you rarely see when St Maximan in the first half for that um Willick chance with some maximum then scores a rebound in his offside. He shouldn't be offside. There's no reason for him to be offside, but he is offside. So maximum beats like like four players. Like that's because he has to. Whereas Lewis and Kraft were relentlessly one on one against either the wing back or, or the or the winger, which is it's you know, so Bruce can say we should have stopped the cross, and I agree with him. But then you have to play Paul Dummett, Steve, because if you're going to play Jamal Lewis with literally no protection, that is going to happen. We talked about it on the podcast after Man United. We did a preview this week for patrons where I correctly predicted a draw, by the way, so I'm pleased with myself for that. But I also <laughs> said that we'll concede a goal from, from a fullback area from across. So, and this isn't about me, because everyone listening and you three lads will know that was the case with once again being done in that area. And it's not like, um, it's not like our goal... You know, Ryan Fraser recycles a ball. What I really liked about Fraser and what I like about him is he crosses the ball early. Same against Leeds away earlier this season when he when he put, when he put that fantastic ball. And was it Wilson who scored against Leeds? I'm not I'm not sure who got the first goal. But um whoever scored it was a great ball. And the same thing again. Lascelles Jeff Henrik, my friend, Jeff Henrik. That's it. Lascelles, great header, almost couldn't miss them because the ball is so good. The ball is literally on his head. And and, and I suppose that Fraser if he stays fit, might will now get a chance in this mad formation, wherever it is. I, I might be playing as a frigging centre-forward, who knows? But we we are going to keep on. If we play this system, this narrow system in midfield with a diamond, where Willock and Hayden, like you said, Norman Shelby was at the base of the diamond last night playing as a defensive midfielder, seemingly because he just wanted to. It asked Bruce through the week to do it. Um, and, the, and, and once again, where full-backs are exposed, and it's the same thing, he has to play Paul Dummett. If, if he's going to leave his, his, his fullback exposed on the left, he has to play Paul Dummett. I don't think Paul Dummett concedes that cross last night. I think he stands up, he expects the, 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 the right foot player to go on the right and he, and he blocks the cross or does a much better job of it. And I think Paul Dummett has to come in against um, against West Brom next week, though Though I'm not sure uh, if people would agree with that. I don't know, lads. We, sorry, Nolan. So, sorry, man. When, when you said if people would agree with that, I took it as a cute answer to a question. Apologies for... Uh... Interrupting, sorry, listeners. Um, I think are the whispers that Mankiw is going to be back quicker than anticipated, which is great, obviously. But my fear is that given now that obviously Wolves was in our air quotes must win game, right? With that, we didn't win. West Brom almost rather than being a must win now becomes almost a must lose, a mustn't lose. So, with the fullback issues, my fear is that he actually goes to five at the back against West Brom. That, that's, a, that's a genuine fear that I've got now. Um, with you know Murphy or Richie playing in the, in the kind of wing back role, which um, I genuinely think would be a disaster. I'm hoping I'm you know completely off off radar there, but as I said, it, it is it is a possibility basically because of of the personnel that are there and how heavy this game is in terms of not losing as opposed to winning. And just on Shelby there, you know, saying playing him in the um, in the kind of defensive midfield position, it does it does allow him to get on the ball where he wants to be on the ball, which, in my opinion, is the wrong place. But you know, so be it. But when he's got that role, and you don't have wingers supporting the fullbacks, you, you've almost you, you know you said the, the the our fullbacks were always one on one. It was almost like the war was two on one because they don't have support from the winger and they don't have support from the defensive midfielder because Shelby isn't able to get from side to side on the pitch. So you know, leaving the fullbacks one on one is a disaster waiting to happen, especially as you've said when it's Lewis. Leaving them two on one is is just unfathomable. It's it's, it's insane. I've um I've got a, a positive, you know, the way aspects of the game yesterday. That well, you know, we if you look, if you look at the, the boiler down at the stats, we actually had nineteen shots yesterday, which is like almost unheard of. Um, I'm, I'm I was trying to go through them before and I couldn't, but um, you know, seven of those on target as well, which is. Truly spectacular. Um, 
But in terms of other, you know, other positives, I'm trying to pick through. Look, Lascelles, that was a lovely header, by the way, and, and I think that'll do his confidence good. And I also think Lascelles actually had a good game yesterday. I think I think Lascelles and Clark, despite how the goal went in, you can't really hold them responsible for it. Um, and and I thought they were both solid together, and and obviously they're going to be vital. I mean, Lascelles coming into form, his head and his tackling was good yesterday. But getting back to what he does best, and obviously he did offer an attacking threat. In against West Brom, the kid they've got up front now, Diagne, is a proper handful. And I think Clark and Lascelles coming into this, I'm seeing coming into form, doing well. It, it's it, it is a positive, and I, and I think they're gonna um, they're gonna be vital in this game against West Brom because look, I watched West Brom against Brighton yesterday. You've all probably seen them a few times since Allardyce took over, and they are on Allardyce's side. The, the pump balls into the box, so there's gonna be a lot for Lascelles and Clark to deal with. So it was good to see the, the pair of them looking good together yesterday. Yes, it was. I thought, like I said, if you, if, we're, if we're talking positives, I thought I thought Fraser did well when he came on. I think he's busy. I think he know he's one of the few players who I think knows what he wants to do when he gets the ball. The ball comes to him. It doesn't matter who's around him. He wants to get the ball in the box as, as quick as possible. And obviously, we're missing Callum Wilson. Um, Joe Linton is not the answer. You know, I think if Ryan Fraser is going to be playing, I think I think you have to play Dwight Gale or Andy Carroll because he he will, as he has proven this season. And the few times we've seen him play, he will get balls into the box. He will. Um, and, you know, like you say, Norman, we kind of know what West Brom are all about. And, and you could argue that, well, West Brom probably want you to cross the ball into the box because it's, it's it's food and drink. But without any, without Almir and Maximan, who knows what we will do. Really quick one, lads, from, from me to finish off. I'm going to ask you all the question now. Start with you, Adam. Are we going down? The, the way things are transpiring, I... I think we are just unless something massively changes, but yeah, I probably think we are. Norman. Oh no! <laughs> Why? <laughs> I. No, no, no. I probably. No, no. <laughs> Why? Why are we staying up? Oh man, I, I kind of I, good, good instinct. Me good instinct. You know it is. I'm gonna have to say it. Yeah, me good instinct is that we are gonna get relegated. I didn't want to. I didn't want to admit it, but uh, that, that's the reality. My gut instinct right now is like it was in 2016, like it was in 2009, like it was in 1989. If you want to throw that in, me gut instinct is we get relegated. Yes. Go on, Mickey. I agree. Yeah, I think we're gonna get relegated. I, I thought we we're gonna get relegated for a little while, and it would take a run of decent performances for us not to. And you know, our squad's now in a worse position than it was yesterday. Well, I'll see really how we're going down. Sorry, me. Well, I'll see quickly, mate. Isn't it? And I mentioned this earlier on. Um, is that the gloves off performances since Sheffield United have yielded less points than the gloves on performances prior to that? The nine, the nine, nine games afterwards and the nine games before. So, if if this is if the gloves off is what's intended to like get enough points on the board to keep up, then I, I can't see it working. Unfortunately, which is devastating. Put them back on. Put them back on. <laughs> Quick. <laughs> One of the things that um, could change the dynamic a little bit of next weekend against West Brom is Everton actually play as West Brom play a game in hand midweek against Everton, which isn't an easy game. But if we can beat them, you know, if Fulham can beat them, um, so if West Brom win the next two games, if West Brom beat us next week and beat Fulham in week, they're one point behind us in the league, which is just ridiculous, um, and it's a worrying thought. And if West Brom go to Everton and win, which they might not. You would back them because they're unbeaten in three now. They've only conceded one goal in the last three games. This, this is this isn't what life or as a football fan should be like. We should not be sat here doing this podcast, and you shouldn't be listening or watching. Big enough, nineteenth place West Brom, who won three games all season. Newcastle United are better. The squad are better than this, and here I am worrying about what you know. Does Craig Dawson play still play for West Brom? Probably not. I'm still worried he's going to score though next Sunday. It's a West Ham now, isn't it? West Ham, he's done all right, hasn't he? Um, but yeah, it's a concern. I think I think if they keep the manager, we'll get relegated. I think it's the perfect time to make a change. You would bring in a new manager and they would have West Brom next week to be their first game. Instead, if we don't beat West Brom, say we get beat, ask us now, if we get beat at West Brom, do you think Bruce will get sacked, Mickey? No. I don't, No. And I also think as well, if Bruce was, if Bruce was sacked tomorrow, Graham Jones would take over. And unfortunately, Graham Jones doesn't necessarily fill me full of confidence as the man who would be get you know get the points on the board to keep up. That's the reality. It's either Bruce or Jones, and I think Bruce will be there at the end of the season, no doubt. The thing about that as well is you know having brought Jones in already and had him working under Bruce, 
um, we, we kind of lose the possible bounce of like the new face. So it's like the, the worst of both worlds. You know, we're, we're replacing Bruce with, if it happens, with someone who probably isn't even any better, if we're honest with ourselves, and we don't get the new face bonus. So it just it wouldn't be any better, in my opinion, if we if we did that. Adam. <laughs> no, he's. I, I, I honestly don't think he's going anywhere. Like he should. He should have gone. He should have gone last month. He should have gone maybe before Christmas. But it doesn't really matter what we think, <laughs> does it? Because <laughs> it all it only matters what Mike Ashley thinks. And, and if he if he's happy with how things are going, if he's happy with the state of play, we're stuck with him. What about you, Alex? Your opinion, mate? Sadly. It depends on what Fulham do, because if we're still four points clear of the relegation zone after losing to West Brom, I think you'll still be in a job. I think if Fulham win tonight, um, yes, I think I think it will be after after fail after lose or picking up one point out of these two games, uh, I, I, I think they would act. And, and any defeat to West Brom would be catastrophic. If you think of when the shit's really hit the fan, and again, because we're not in grounds, I can only talk about social media, but the shit has really hit the fan after Brentford. And Sheffield United this season, and on bo- on both occasions, Bruce was rattled big time. In fact, um, if you look at the the impact of those defeats, they still won't really speak to the written, written press. You know, um, I think they took two questions last night from the written press after the game, accepted three before the game, when it would be three or four times that normally. That's as a result of the criticism after those two defeats, and it's it's funny, isn't it? Because the club think that the written press and the Chronicle and people like that, they think their criticism has been unfair of the team this season. We're 17th. Do you know what I mean? We can't win a game. And this is me concern. If you cannot beat Wolves and West Brom in the Premier League at the minute, who can you beat? Who are you going to beat, realistically? And that's why I, th- I think if we lose next week, assuming Fulham get a result tonight and or next week, um, then, then, he, then he will be sacked because I think they'll know that it's such a poor result. But we'll see. We might be sat here well, we're going to do the podcast next week, probably after the game, um, and we'll see. I mean, they can always just win the game. It's a radical idea. I know they can always win, the game, but uh, it doesn't seem to happen. I think that'll that'll do it for us on the True Faith podcast. Thanks very much to everybody who has listened and who's watched on on YouTube and enjoy doing these shows. Mickey Norman and my thanks to you. We'll be back for you, like I said, after that West Brom game next week Sunday afternoon. Speak to you then. Goodbye. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com